Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. As a, as a church, we're going to be taking six months to talk through what we believe God has called us to. And we, we at Radiant, we believe that God has called us to follow Jesus into lives of love, which we talked about uh, in October, lives of worship, which we talked about in November, Um, Lives of Faith, which we talked about in December. Uh, This month, January, we're going to follow Jesus into submission. We believe that God's called us to lead uh, submitted lives. In February, we're going to talk about following Jesus and serving like Jesus. In March, we're going to talk about forgiveness and how we'll follow Jesus into forgiveness, into living lives of forgiveness. And I think I'm going to add another month uh, on mission. Because I like it. And uh, anyway, I think we might spend another month. So at the end of this, we're going to invite people to join Radiant as a member. If you feel at the end of these six months that you're to follow Jesus in these ways and you're to follow Jesus with these people, um, we're going to ask you to become a member and join a core of people here at Radiant that are committed to live lives of love, of faith, of worship, submission, service, forgiveness, and mission. And if you feel like at the end of the six, seven months, uh, if you feel like, yeah, I can, I can get on board with that, I can sign up for that, we're going to ask you to do so. So last week we talked about the Bible, because this whole month we're talking about authority and submission. And last week we talked about the authority of Scripture. And when we at Radiant say uh, or, or appeal to the authority of Scripture, it's shorthand for saying that um, it's shorthand for the authority of God exercised through Scripture. Jesus didn't say when he left his disciples, "All authority on heaven and in heaven and on earth has been given to the books that you're about to write." He said, "All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me." And so we understand the Old and New Testament to be the way that God rolls out his authority. So when we say that the, you know, the the authority of scripture, when we appeal to the authority of scripture, we're talking about the authority of God exercised through the scriptures. The Bible is God's authoritative word to us. We don't worship the Bible. Uh, We read the Bible because it reveals the God we worship. We love the Bible because it reveals to us the God we love. We love the Bible because it reveals Jesus to us. Um, In Luke 24, don't turn there. I just have to throw that out to let you know I'm not making it up. In Luke 24, um, Jesus teaches these two guys how to read the Bible. They were missing it. 
They didn't understand what was going on. Jesus had been crucified. They were discouraged. And Jesus uh, sits these guys down and teaches them how to use their Bible, how to read their Bible. And this is what Jesus does. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? We're not our hearts burning when he opened the scriptures to us. We know from the beginning of that passage that Jesus opened the scriptures and talked about everything from Moses to the prophets was pointing to him. And the way to a burning heart is to read your Bible as if it were all about him. The way to a cold legalistic heart is to read the Bible as if it's all about you. That's a good way. It's a good way to leave your Bible. You know, I, I just, I mean, I just don't. I don't even think you'll read it if you read it that way. It can crush you. Really discouraging. And Jesus sits down with these guys and he's like, "I'll teach you how to read the Bible. It's all pointing to me. Let's start with Moses. Let's start with the Passover. I'm the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world." I'm the rock smitten by the rod of justice so that water can come forth in the desert. And he just starts to teach these guys. All of this points to me. And so just a quick note as we go forward, that's how we'll read the Bible here at Radiant, is we'll read it looking for him. So when we talk about submission this morning, of course we're going to be talking about Jesus. And as we open our Bibles today, we're going to be looking for Jesus. If you want to know more about uh, what this church is about, what we believe about about the Bible, and some statements of what we value and what we believe, they can be found in these little booklets that Eric put together. And those two are are, uh, on the table. And I'd encourage you to pick one up if you want to know uh, what we're about here. So, Jesus. The heart of Jesus is one of of absolute submission. And I think this is hard for us because we've elevated Jesus as some sort of revolutionary on par with Che. Right? When the truth is, is that Jesus accomplished what he accomplished and brought salvation and redemption to the world through absolute obedience and submission. We've got him pinned as some sort of, you know, re, you know homeless renegade, <laughs> some rebel without a cause. And, he, you know, he did. He did his fair share of turning things over. But, um, but we know that Jesus accomplished what he accomplished because he was submitted and he was obedient. John says at the beginning of his gospel when he's talking about Jesus that in him was life. And that life was the light of men. The way he lived his life 
has become for us a light. Jesus says this, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Some of you are so tired here this morning, and it is because you're living unsubmitted. There's no rest. There's no break from the weather. There's no covering over you. Jesus brought salvation, redemption through obedience. Um, We know, um, and we'll talk about this more, that Adam brought death through his disobedience and his independence. Jesus comes as the second Adam to bring salvation, redemption through obedience and submission. Jesus was constantly making comments like this. He He would say things like, I do nothing of myself. I say only what the Father tells me to say. I do exactly as the Father commanded me. His life was a perfect example for us of submission to authority and a perfect example of submission to delegated authority. Not just God's authority. I'm so tired of these conversations with people while I'm submitted to God. Fantastic. (laughs) Where do we go from here? I do only what God tells me to do. Jesus wasn't just submitted to the Father. He was submitted to delegated authority as well. I like this because as believers, we don't follow... uh, As believers, we don't follow a set of rules. We follow a person. Now, Now hear me out because values are really important. But he promised us his voice. And some of you think that the Christian life is just a set of values... And don't understand that we can actually hear and respond to his voice. There's nothing wrong with principles. We've been given these awesome principles in scripture. But we also have a promise of his presence. That he'll lead us not just with principles and not just values. But he'll lead us with his presence. And if all you've understood Christianity to be is following a set of rules, values, principles... You're missing out on the person of Jesus and relationship with him. We all think, and and I've probably even preached this, that Jesus called the disciples. In fact, I I think that might be the heading that's in my Bible, is that Jesus calls the twelve. But at the end of Jesus' life, he's praying for his disciples. And he says this, I pray for those that you've given me. I'm praying for the disciples that you gave me. We look back and notice that the night before Jesus chose his disciples, he spent the night in prayer. And I think that for me, when I find myself in an unsubmitted place, I'm really unwilling to submit my plans to God. And we see Jesus continually submitting his plans to God. Continually doing what he saw the Father doing. So, um, we are uh, rebels by nature. The first command that God gave man, he gave to Adam. You know, maybe if you've grown up in church, you've heard this story. God gives Adam a command. 
And then he gives Adam the free will to either submit to what he said or to rebel against what he said. It's really important for you to understand, especially as we talk about Scripture, that Adam and Eve were deceived into thinking that God's instructions for them weren't in their best interest. They were, de- they were deceived into thinking that what God had to say, God's instructions for them, were not in their best interest. So they disobeyed. And now we remain under a curse because we inherited the nature of Adam. Let me read you a passage. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. Later on in Romans it says, For if by the trespasses of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Again, what Adam did in disobedience and independence, Jesus came to undo through obedience and submission. None of us have to teach our kids how to rebel. I've never, you know, it's kind of interesting the first time it happens, you know, because you're like, where did Avery see that? I mean, I don't think that goes on in our house. I never sat down with Avery and was like, you know what? When this happens, when your mom says this, you fall on the ground. Start thrashing, (laughs) screaming. That was good. That was an extreme statement. But I'd like you to say something even harsher than that. Something, Something really out there. More exaggeration, you know, more flair. You know, we, we don't do that with our kids. That, that, we don't need to do those things with our kids. It comes quite naturally. We, we rebel for some other reasons, uh, too. Um, beyond our first, really, that our father, Adam, was a rebel and a lawbreaker. And we've inherited a curse. But the, the second reason we rebel is just pride. We think uh, we could do it better. We think we know better. We know better than our teachers, right? And you, you know, <laughs> you, you know what needs to happen in Washington, D.C. Because those politicians are idiots. And you know what needs to happen with this church. If you're an employee, you know better than your boss. Uh, If you're a caller on talk radio, then you've got a solution. We would be, you know, we're smarter, uh, better, and, and we would be more competent as leaders. Pride is one of the reasons that we rebel. And uh, it's, it's really interesting because in our um, nation, we see pride as a value and not a vice. We, like, uh, we celebrate it. And we know that uh, pride was the thing that got, you know, made the devil the devil. It's a pretty big deal. So uh, another reason we rebel is because of our cultural ethos. Our, our, our national pastime is rebellion. This country was born out of rebellion. 
The, the stories that we read our kids are about one brave man who took a stand against the man and in David and Goliath fashion took down the man. You know, our, our country was born in that story and so this is the story that we tell our kids. Civil disobedience is praised. Civil obedience is not If you pay your taxes, chances are you're not going to have a holiday here in this country. This is, you know, even in our stories, I'm thinking about the guy who gets the girl. And the girl is attracted to the guy who's, you know, somewhat of a rebel. And in every story, this is in every story that we tell our kids. We don't praise those who are compliant. Uh, another reason we rebel, we're on the back side of the 60s and 70s, which, you know, I was not there, but from what I believe, it was not a very cool thing to do to submit to authority. It was a little more popular to picket and protest and burn your bra. And um, what's interesting is that those hippies um, have become the man, and now there's a new crop of kids rebelling against them. We are uh, selfish people. When you bring up submission to authority, one of the first things that comes up is like, what about Nazi Germany? What about, what about harboring and housing Jews in Nazi Germany? You know, everyone wants to bring up these uh, instances of civil disobedience. And they're looking for exceptions so that they can justify what they're up to. And so they'll bring up these extreme cases like harboring Jews in Nazi Germany. Of course we weren't to submit to what, you know, was going on then. Or they'll bring up Martin Luther King Jr. or, you know, these... these uh, and, and what I want to say really quickly is that those people practiced civil disobedience for others. It wasn't for selfish reasons that they practiced civil disobedience didn't turn out well for Martin Luther King Jr. It didn't turn out well for most of the people who housed Jews. Again, I said it last week. You know, I think that's a good question to ask yourself when you're asking questions about when is it right to rebel. Is it for selfish reasons or is it for selfless reasons? Your desire to legalize marijuana isn't for your neighbor who's got glaucoma or whatever, you know. No, 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 this really, he's real, it's real bad, you know. It's, it's not for the, it's typically for selfish reasons that we rebel. And yes, there are exceptions and probably no, you're not one of them. I'm just going to say no, you're not one of them. There are exceptions. You're not one of them. Um, and then, you know, the last reason, and th- there's, there's more reasons than this, but the truth is, is that you've seen authority abused. Your parents weren't great. Your teachers were unfair. Your boss is a jerk. Your pastor is also a jerk. I mean, whatever it is, you've seen authority abused. 
So we don't believe in authority. We don't submit to authority. And um, th- this is what was interesting for me when, I, when we started this church is that um, is that there's going to come a day when people say the same things about you. <laughs> it's crazy how that happens. Um, and I, I, yeah, so I, I want you this morning and, and this month, I'm really praying that our minds would be renewed. That we'd see submission and we'd see authority like God sees authority and submission. Because I think that the enemy has lied to us. In the same way that he lied to Adam and Eve and tried to tell them that it wasn't in their best interest to do what God asked them to do. That, hey, this isn't going to turn out for your blessing or benefit to do what God asked you to do. I feel like we're deceived as well. One of the things that I hear from people constantly is like, well, a life of submission is hard. And I think that that's true. I do think a life of submission is hard and will require you to suffer and be vulnerable. But, but what I want to say loud and clear this morning is it's an unsubmitted life that's hard. In the end, it will be an unsubmitted, independent, disobedient life that will be the hard life. I've been at the chiropractor twice this last week. Um, and and, and it's, it's a return to the chiropractor because the first time I chose not to submit to what he was asking me to do because it was an inconvenience. He was like, sleep on your back. I was like, I can't sleep on my back. He was like, tape ping pong balls to your shirt so when you get on your stomach, it'll be uncomfortable and you'll get back to your back. And I was like, eh, I don't know about that. <laughs> so... <laughs> And uh, it was just funny because I came back and he just looked at me and he's like, what do you like? What do you want from me? You know, because he knew all I wanted was some sense of relief. I wasn't going to follow through and do the things, you know, put this like six month plan in front of me, you know, that included my diet and everything else. And I was like, come on, man, just pop my back. You know, it's fifty five dollars, you know. But I did that last time, and, and I'm back, and it's worse, you know. And so I just looked at him, and I was like, I, I'm ready. Because I thought that taping ping pong balls to my shirt was hard. Not being able to get out of bed in the morning is really hard. It's really not working out for me. Um, I'm willing to consider, you know. So he's like, all right, we can work with that, you know. And I think it's true. We continue to tell ourselves, well, losing weight is hard. Yeah, and so it's like 400 pounds on your knee joints. Like, that's hard too. In the long run, it's going to be harder. Do you get what I'm saying? Sorry, I didn't mean to. I'm overweight too, so we're, we're together. Freedom, freedom for the Christian is found in submission. And the Jesus way is not the American way. And we're starting to f- figure that out. I think for a while we thought they were closely aligned. It's not the case. So really quickly, I want to bring some definition to the word submission. Um, the word that's used it paints a really cool picture. 
In uh, Romans 1, it says everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Sorry, Romans 13.1. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. And the Greek word here is hupotasso. And it's a combination of hupo, meaning under, and tasso, to arrange in an orderly fashion. So when we combine the two pieces together, we get the, we get the idea of arranging ourselves in an orderly fashion. It was a military term. Uh, that describes soldiers lining up under their superiors according to rank. The first time, though, that this word submit appears in Scripture, it's in the Old Testament, it's in Genesis, and it's the Hebrew word anah. And in Genesis 16.9, Hagar, the servant of Abraham and Sarah, was running away because she had been mistreated. And an angel of the Lord appeared to her in the desert and spoke these words to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. And in dozens of other places in Scripture, this word anah is translated afflict. The definition is to afflict, oppress, humble, or bow down. So this angel is telling Hagar to go humble herself or allow herself to be afflicted. I don't hear that every day from God. (laughs) Along with this, it's really interesting because this word in the New Testament appears 40 times. And we know that the number 40 is always used in uh, the Bible as as a time of testing and trial. The children of Israel wandered the, wandered the desert for 40 years. Jesus was tempted by Satan for 40 days. It rained 40 days when Noah was in the ark. Um, submission is linked with trial. And uh, I, I think this is the main reason that we find ourselves not wanting to submit. It's going to cost us. It's going to be inconvenient, difficult, painful. There's going to be suffering through self-denial. One more point that I I want to make is that uh, submission is a choice. It's voluntary. It's very different than obedience. Obedience can be brought about by external force. Submission is an attitude of the heart. You can make obedience happen. You can't make submission happen. So you can have obedience without submission. You can't have submission without obedience. So understand that submission is actually a heart attitude. It's a deliberate choice to surrender. A deliberate choice um, to submit to the one who's over you. Okay, now to uh, 1 Peter Starting in verse 13. Therefore, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free Yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king.
Servants must be submissive to your masters. Your NIV might uh, read slaves. Uh, be submissive to your masters. Um, I, we don't have time to talk about this, but slavery uh, in the Roman world was very different than what we know about it. When we picture slavery, we think of uh, 17th, 18th, and 19th kind of new world slavery, which was race-based. It was very different than that in the Roman world. So I think a better translation is to say, servants, be submissive to your masters. Um, you know, just because slave brings up images for us that weren't true of kind of the Greco-Roman world. Um, with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. Uh, Sorry, I didn't read that well. We'll move on. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer... If you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I feel like this passage really clearly outlines some things that submission requires of us. Submission requires us to do some things, and I think that's why submission is really difficult. And I'm not up here pretending like it's not. It's really uh, pretty tough. The first thing that submission requires of us that I think is difficult is to be vulnerable. It requires us to be susceptible. It requires us to be open. And that's a scary thing, am I right? This is the, the, the beauty of the Christmas story is that the God of the universe made himself so vulnerable. Can you imagine coming as a child? He made himself so vulnerable. There's a connection to um, submission and fear later on in this passage when um, Paul is talking to wives saying, submit yourself to your husbands. And then he says to these women, your daughters, if you do what is right and you don't give way to fear, it is scary to submit yourself. It is scary to be vulnerable. It's scary to be open. It's scary to be transparent. And submission requires this from us. That we be open to pain. The other thing that uh, is here in 1 Peter, it says that uh, submission requires us to trust God. To entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly. It requires us to trust God 
it also requires us to actually see him that he is, in fact, the overseer of our souls, that he sees what's going on. That, that, that what's going on in your life didn't happen on his break. He is the shepherd, the overseer of your soul, and he sees what's going on. This is pretty, this is pretty amazing. Again, Jesus, our model for this. Because here Jesus is in the garden, about to go to the cross... And he actually understands that the cup that he's about to drink is from his father. He knew that what was about to happen to him was not because of the Pharisees, was not because of the Roman soldiers, was not because of the Jewish people, was not because of Judas who betrayed him. He says, shall I not drink the cup that my father has given to me? That's why it was so funny when the Passion of the Christ came out and they were worried that people would, you know, because I know this has gone on for, for centuries, but that people would see the Jews as, the, as those who killed Jesus. It, what's funny is that God killed Jesus. The Jewish people, the Pharisees, the Roman soldiers. Jesus knows, he's confident. He has peace. Yeah, he wrestles with God. But in the end, he's saying, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has got for me? Tremendous. I was so inspired by the peace and confidence that I saw in Jesus when he understood. And he was, he was entrusting himself. He was being vulnerable. Entrusting himself to the one who judges rightly. And it cost him. What peace and confidence he had. We see him, because he has entrusted himself to the Father, we see him in the garden, hours before he's about to go to the cross. Hours before he's about to get his beard pulled from his face. Hours before they're about to skin him alive. And he says, my peace I give to you. Who needs peace? I've got peace. My peace I give to you. Incredible as he stands before Pilate. And he says to Pilate, he's about to be tortured. You could have no power at all against me. Unless it had been given to you by my Father. He was confident. He knew that God was going to bring about his redemptive purposes through his suffering. And I don't think we understand this. That God brings about his redemptive purposes in our lives through suffering. Submission requires that we suffer. This is really crazy. Up in verse 21, inside this passage, it says, uh, For to this you were called. 
I mean, it's, it's a joke, but maybe you should consider it your calling. That way we're not so taken back by it when it happens, as if this isn't God's will for my life. This isn't God's call. There's, there's a calling for us to suffer, to follow Jesus. Obviously the calling isn't just to suffer. Which brings me to my next point. I don't think that the goal of Jesus was the cross. I don't think the goal of Jesus was the cross. I don't think the goal of Jesus was to be a martyr. The goal of Jesus was to do what the Father was telling him to do. The goal of Jesus was the will of the Father, which led him to the cross and led him to die the way that he did. So I'm not saying that you make suffering your goal. Uh, Don't do that. But in our relationship with Jesus, we'll experience this. And I love the way that Peter presents inside First uh, Peter 3 and 4. He presents suffering as an opportunity, as a resource for us to have relationship and to see the gospel win. We will suffer when we say no to our flesh and we say yes to what God would have us do. In order to change our mindsets about submission, I think we have to change our mindsets about suffering. We, we have to understand its redemptive purposes. You can't, have, you can't change your mindset about submission if you don't change your mindset about suffering. And this is really, I love the portrait that we get inside First Peter of how Jesus suffered. It's just beautiful to me. How do you do suffering? How do you understand suffering? We know from Jesus inside this passage that when he suffered, he didn't sin or retaliate. A lot of you are are, are suffering. You know, the truth is is that that I don't think whether you see suffering um, as your calling or not, it doesn't matter. It's coming to you. Whether you understand it to be a part of God's plan for your life or not, it's coming to you. It doesn't care whether you see it as your calling or not. No, I'm not into that. I don't want to work with the kids, you know. <laughs> Whatever it is, like, it's like, no, 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 that's not my calling. I'm called to worship leading, you know. And it's like, well, if you're called to be a worship leader, you're probably going to be called, again, to suffer. Because there's some times where leading worship is pretty difficult. People say things to you that are pretty harsh. Um, you know, anyways, it's, it's a part of your calling, whether you see it as that or not, it doesn't much matter. You're not going to avoid suffering. Many of us do are okay with suffering, but we grumble and complain through the entire thing. Oh man, you know, take every opportunity to bring up what somebody's done to you. Jesus, when he suffered, He didn't sin and he didn't retaliate. Man. Number two, he entrusted himself to the Father who judges justly. Good luck with that one. Number three, this is really cool. This is really cool. Number three, Jesus trusted God to get him through suffering rather than out of it. He trusted God to get him through it, not just out of it. Um, He allowed himself to be crucified for our sake. 
Um, this was beautiful when I saw this. I just overwhelmed. That when he was suffering, he used all the strength he had remaining in his dying body to forgive his murderers and to minister to the man dying beside him and to announce the completed work of salvation. So I'm not expecting you to follow Jesus into um, submission or into suffering without telling you about the payoffs. Because there are some perks to submission. There are some payoffs. And I think that uh, really quickly, um, peace and confidence, like Jesus had peace and confidence, can be yours if you choose to live a submitted life. Some of you have no peace Relationship with Jesus, probably the biggest perk in there. You can have a relationship with Jesus in your suffering. I love that. I love that he knows what we're going through. If you're here and you feel like you've been betrayed, he's been betrayed. He understands what's going on in your life. If you're being mistreated, he was mistreated. If you've been overlooked and ignored, it was both of those things. And obviously, the Peter, as he writes, encourages the church that there's an eternal reward for those who choose to live in submission and obedience. And there is a release of redemption through your life. God's always used people who are obedient and submissive to bring about the life of Jesus and the redemption We know that the cross was a terribly unjust act, yet it is for us salvation. Redemption was released through the way Jesus suffered. I think, I know guys, like it's really tough to suffer like that and to suffer well. And I would like to remind you of what I shared last week, which is that we are not here to teach you to live a better life. Uh, We're not here as a church for you to live a better life. We're here to teach you how to live a better death. Jesus never called you to be yourself. He called you to deny yourself. And that will mean suffering for us. It'll also mean eternal glory. Relationship with Jesus, which is what you were created for. What you long for. As a church, um, the other thing that Peter keeps bringing up inside this passage is that the gospel wins. The gospel goes forth. When you do it the way Jesus did it, the gospel goes forth and the gospel wins. And at Radiant Church, we want to be a gospel people doing gospel things so that the gospel wins. The gospel succeeds. Now, I know that there's a lot of questions about, you know, particular situations and I don't even think, to be honest with you, I'd love to start just by saying, try to submit yourself to good godly authority. 
If we could just start there as a church, that would be fantastic. And then maybe from there, we'll start to unpack this question of how do we submit ourselves to ungodly authority? Some of us are trying as hard as we can just to submit ourselves to people who are for us, love us, and love God. It's like, ugh, it's pulling against your nature, you know? So let's just start there. For those who are getting ready to do the foundations school, the leaders there are for you. They love you. This good, godly authority. Submit yourself to it. This year will be... Uh, I, I just really believe, as we've been praying about this idea of submission, as we've been praying about submission, I feel like it's the thing that's going to unlock revival, personally and regionally. I really do. If we, if we began as a, as, a, as a group of people, as a church, to do the very next thing that God asked us to do, we would see a revival break forth, not only in our own lives, but in our city we begin to really submit ourselves to him and to others, I think some incredible things would come out of of, um, that work that we would do together. So I'm going to pray. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about what I'm asking you to do. Uh, We'll talk about authority in the church. We'll talk about submitting one to another. And then we'll end our time by talking about authority in the home, submission in the home. Jesus, now I just want to do. Uh, I just want to do something here this morning. If you feel like your heart's been stirred and you feel like there's been an invitation from Jesus to follow Him and to submit to His Lordship in a brand new way in your life, I'm going to pray, but I'm going to ask that you would stand. You feel your heart stirred to follow Him. You know that this year ahead of you, uh, God's inviting you to submit. You're seeing rebellion in your own heart. Um, Jesus. I just love the part in in every sermon where we start talking about you. Our hearts start burning. It's like these, these guys on the road to Emmaus. They're talking, talking, talking. And then you begin to reveal yourself to them through scripture. And their hearts begin to burn. And I want to pray for every person here, and especially those that are standing, that you would give them burning hearts right now. That they would know that they're loved. Jesus, that you would reveal yourself to them by the Holy Spirit. Where there are patterns of rebellion, I ask the Holy Spirit that you would renew their minds. And that you give them power and courage. But mostly, I just pray that that we wouldn't lose our vision of you. 
that we wouldn't lose sight of the relationship that we get to have with you through submission and suffering. That you, Jesus, would continue to remind every person here of the redemption that you're going to bring about through their lives. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd give them power, you'd give them strength to do what they feel like they can't do, that you'd grace us as a church to submit to you, to submit to our leaders, to submit to each other, and that you would release a revival um, in the lives of the people that are standing, that they'd take seriously your call to submit and like some really amazing things would come from it, Lord. We thank you. Um, again, that this isn't like a rule, but we get to follow you. That we get to have relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for standing. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantvicelia.com. Until next time. I'm